Day and Night. I believe it's a, a great word for us here in this moment, this season of time. Not only for this church, but as a nation. But before we get into that, I just want to remind you this morning that we're going to be having our open house today. This is just for us, just for our church family to come and walk through and see the new store. It's on 75 County Road in North Fountain. Literally, if you take a left here on 151, just keep going straight until you hit a yellow building. It's a yellow building on the outside. It's really easy to find. There's a spread across the street if you've ever had Pine Pine Pizza in North Fountain. It's in that same plaza. Uh, we want to encourage you to just come out and walk through it. We want you to see what it is, what we're doing, uh, the work that we've done. We've been spending a lot of time over there trying to get things prepared for the opening on Thursday. But we want to get to give you uh, the ability to, to walk through there. And uh, if you're willing to serve also, we're going to have a, a sign-up sheet with lots of time that you can sign your name on, the, on there. We don't want to leave anybody there by yourself, so no fears there. We're not going to put you there by yourself with no one, no one who knows anything. Um, we're going to all be working through this together and help get the store off the ground so that we can be using it for God's glory, to give all the profits right back to the community. We really want to be able to do that because we want to show our community that we are for them. And this is our way of doing that. So I want to encourage you, after service, please come by. You know, it's not long. It's literally about five minutes up the road. You won't be there very long. It's not a big store. You'll be able to walk through and walk out. Um, and, of course, ask any questions you may have, and we'll try to answer them if we have the answers. But we'd love for you to be a part of that. Just take, take, a, take a few moments to do that today, right after service, following service. So this morning, we start our new series called No Turning Back. Specifically, we're going to be going through the book of Ruth. And um, you might know the book of Ruth isn't a very long book, but there's so much depth there. And I think there's some meaning and some things that speak to us in this current moment of time. Not only as a church, but again as our nation. Now Chuck Swindoll tells the story of this young man who felt called to missions. And so he got on a plane headed for Quito, Ecuador. And he had decided that he was going to be a missionary for Christ. And he had decided there was no turning back. He made a decision for Christ. He, go, he bought a one-way ticket to Quito, Ecuador. <laughs> There's this mountain called El Tablazo. And this mountain looks close. In fact, as they're flying over, he thought, wow, that mountain looks really too close. And it all happened so fast. Exploding into a 14,000-foot peak. The DC-4 disintegrated into a screen. There was a big shock, and the plane was left in pieces. Suddenly that flash that was there was taken over again by the darkness and by the silence. Before leaving the airport, this young man, his name was Glenn Chambers, and he's from New York. He scrolled a note on a piece of paper. And he didn't have any stationery or anything, so he found an, an advertisement. And on that advertisement, it had the question, why? And he wrote a little note on there. He just felt led to write one little note to mom right before he left. He dropped that note in the mail. And again, he wrote all around the ad that said, why? Wrote through it and around it. Of course, he thought at that moment that there would be more to come. It was a lifelong dream for this young man to begin his mission's work with the voice of Andes in Ecuador. But there was no more to come. The letter arrived at the home long after he was in the cabin. 
when the mother received it, the question that burned in her, in her heart and mind and in her memory at that time was the one scrawled across that page of the ad. Why? Why? Why me? Why this? Why now? The big question we're going to be exploring in this series is where is God in the tragedies of life? Where is God in the tragedies of life? Can we find hope in the middle of those tragedies? The book of Ruth is yet another great example of people who decided that there was no turning back. But it's also a story of tragedy, just like the one I just shared with you. A story that seems like there had been abandonment. A story of suffering, a story of deep loss. Sure, there were some good times, and there were some good seasons. But what happens when those good seasons begin to be few and far between, and the bad seasons seem to outnumber the good ones? What happens when we get this barrage of bad season after bad season after bad season? See, this is why it's so easy to relate to a woman named Naomi. Why? Because she had been battered in her life. Through Naomi, we remember our own bruises, our own tragedies, our own pain. Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. Anyone been there? And for many, yeah, this has been a tough year. It's been a tragedy for our world and the nation. It echoes cries that Job prayed out to God when he suffered a great tragedy and lost everything. But yet, but yet, you are still here. You have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Even when things get rough, you're still here. You're right here in your seat. You're worshiping the Lord. You're giving it to him. You're still here. Why? Because you know that not for a minute were you forsaken. Amen. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is right in the midst of your suffering. And you still continue to come back and come back knowing, you know, needing that shot of encouragement, maybe. That shot of God's word. There's no turning back. And we can find hope through tragedy. Let's read together from the book of Ruth. I read verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, and they're going to be behind me as well in the New Living Translation. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mala and Kilian. They were Aphrodites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So here's the backstory here. This was one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. The time of the judges. When you read through Judges, you'll see this cycle where they continued to follow after other things and other gods. And God allowed them to be taken over by other nations. And then they would have a judge, a righteous judge, who would step up and free them from their bondage. And then they'd go right back years later and do the same thing again. And it kept happening over and over again. And the period of judges was a dark time for them. Why? Because there was no king. 
There is no one directing them. The book of Judges is right before Ruth, and it sums up perfectly this time period. In Judges chapter 1, verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. See, during this time period, there were violent invasions. They were worshiping false gods. There was lawlessness. There was tribal civil war. They continued to turn their backs on the God that brought them out of Egypt. And throughout this period, they were often controlled by these other nations. And the people of Israel continued to live out their lives how they wanted to, how they saw was right, what they thought they should do, rather than doing what God had commanded. They began chasing other gods, worshiping at the altars of other gods. Now we know throughout Scripture, the promise that God had with the Israelites was that if they would continue to obey Him and do what He has commanded, that there will be a blessing. A blessing on their homes, a blessing on their families, a blessing on their finances. When they continue to follow after the Lord, there will be blessing. But that means if there's blessing, there's an opposite of that, isn't there? If they did not follow after God's commands, if they decided what was right in their own eyes, if they continued to follow after the desires of their heart, it says that there would be a curse. And this is the famine that came upon the people of Israel. They had chosen to worship other gods. They had chosen to go a different direction. They had chosen other gods over the God. And famine seemed to be the, the consequence of the disobedience. So, Elimelech moves his family from Bethlehem to a place called Moab. Now, let's be fair to Elimelech here. What many of us do the same for our families? There's a famine, and we heard that there's food somewhere else. Where we go and try to take care of our, our families. See, no one really picks up and moves, moves and, and hopes for a worse place to live. <laughs> Nobody hopes for a worse place to live wherever they land. No, we, we hope for a better life wherever we move. Our nation was founded by people looking for a better life. It would give them a religious freedom to continue to follow after their beliefs. We move our families with the hopes of something better than what we're experiencing right now. A better area, maybe better schools, or a better community. I know my journey has taken me from Northeast Ohio, to Pittsburgh, to Illinois, to Massachusetts, where I met my wife, and we started our family, to Arizona, and then back here to Massachusetts again, Cape Cod. And never once, in all those times, did we move with the hope that things were gonna be worse for us. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that? No. You never move because you think it's going to be worse for you. And it's interesting to see this theme. You know, the theme of this series is no turning back. No turning back. But this no turning back story begins with running away. The no turning back story begins with running away. Why? Because maybe perhaps we learn some valuable lessons when we run away. Like maybe next time a circumstance happens, we won't run away. 
Why do we run? One word. Unbelief. Unbelief. I don't think you run. The times are wrong. There was no leader. There was no king. Sin was rampant. As a result, there was a famine in the land and food was scarce. You might walk. Ironically, you know what Bethlehem means? I, I would drive. The house of... house of bread. Ironically, they were leaving the house of bread to a land called Moab. They were leaving the promised land into a land of a pagan nation, pagan religions. You know, when trouble comes, we typically do one of three things. We endure it, we escape it, or we enlist it. We endure it, we escape it, or we enlist it. Now, when we endure it, when when troubles come, when trials come, when we endure it, the problem sometimes can become our master. Because we tend to be, become hard and bitter when we just endure it. We just, we got through, but our hearts got hard in the process. And we became bitter. So yes, we made it through and we got to the other side, but our hearts became bitter and hard. And sometimes these seasons are necessary to simply just get through it. But there are moments, and many of us have experienced this, where we've had to circle back and allow God to work in our hearts where that anger and that bitterness still reside. Because, yeah, we endured it. We got to the other side, but we allowed our hearts to get bitter. And when we allow our hearts to get bitter, it allows Satan a foothold in our lives. And we have to bring it before him. The second thing we do is we escape it. If we escape our problems, we will probably miss the purposes that God wants to achieve in our lives by going through the problem. You see, we escape from everything, and maybe even the very thing that God is trying to teach us in that moment, only to have the same test again and again and again until we pass. And the third thing we do is we enlist it. Does that mean? If we enlist our problems, they will become our servants and work for us. We own the problem. We pray over it. And God works it out for the good for all those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So we take it on. And us and God become the majority. What does it? One person and God become the majority. And we bring it before God. And we ask him to work. And a limit Elimelech did the same thing that many of us have done. And maybe many of us have done. He chose to escape, possibly missing the purpose that God had in his life. In this particular moment. Maybe God wanted to show Elimelech that he would be faithful to his family, even through this lame season, that he would provide. Maybe he wanted to show him that he was Jehovah Jireh, his provider. Maybe God wanted to get Elimelech's attention so that he would live up to his name. Elimelech means, my God is king. Maybe he's trying to get him to live up to that. And not care about other kings and the things going on around him. But they continue to declare, my God is king. And my question, even in this season, is what is God calling us to do in this season? Are we called to endure, to escape, or to enlist the things that we see in our life and our world today. You see, the church can do the same thing when we think about the world we live in. We want to escape. We have our eyes just waiting for the rapture. 
waiting for Jesus to return. We're looking to escape. But we might miss the very thing that he has us here to do in the first place. If we're always looking for the rapture and looking for the escape, we miss what God is trying to do in us right now. And I believe with all of my heart that God is getting our attention and that we are to enlist the tragedy in our world for God's purposes. This is not a time to back down. It's not a time to escape or to simply endure and have kind of a victim mentality or a martyr mentality. In spite of the alarms, in spite of these sensational headlines in the media, and the danger in the streets, and the rate of COVID, we can be sure of one thing. God still loves the world and wants to save lost sinners. Amen. No matter what the headlines read, God still loves the world and wants to save lost sinners. We can be sure of that. So what are we called? We're called to live by faith and not by sight. Elimelech did the exact opposite. He lived by sight and not by faith. See, there's no indication in the text that Elimelech sought the the hand of the Lord, that he, he prayed to God to get an answer. There's nothing there. You'll see that all throughout Scripture for many other people. When they were looking for answers, they prayed to God and said, God, give me the answer. You had a judge, right? Gideon, who prayed to God. He said, God, I'm going to lay this thread out there. If it's wet and everything around it is dry, then I'm going to to know it's you. On the other hand, I'm going to do it again, God. I'm not sure, right? I think I I heard the message. But let me do this one more time. Make the, the, the thread dry and everything around it wet. And God did that too. He got his answer. We have no indication that a like had any posture towards God to say, God, what do you want me to do? He did what made sense to him. What seemed logical. You see, no matter how difficult our circumstances can be, the safest and best place is always in the will of God. Even when things are difficult, the safest and best place is always in the will of God. Elimelech ran from his problems. He escaped. He lived life by what he saw rather than by faith. Instead of trusting in God, he took matters into his own hands. He trusted himself. Just quote I read by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, The efforts that we make to escape from our destiny only serve to lead us into it. Think about that just for a moment. The efforts that we make to escape from our destiny only serve to lead us into it. Never has this been more true than in the case of Elimelech. Isaiah 5.21 says, What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves still clever. You see, Elimelech led his family to Beth- from Bethlehem to escape death. But in the end, they traded one death Three funerals. He ran to escape death, but they traded one, one family for three funerals. Ruth chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. About ten years later, both Mala and Kilian died. Ten years later. Did you ever notice that? They were married for ten years after, after the death of Elimelech. 
So in those 10 years, I'm thinking there was probably a sense of consolation for Naomi. Hey, you know, things are looking up. My sons, they're married now. I'm probably going to have some grandchildren coming along the way. I'm going to have my sons and, and daughters and grandchildren to, to be able to be around. And maybe there's some consolation for that widow who puts all of her hopes in her sons and their families there, the hopes of grandchildren. Maybe there was even a sense of happiness here in this moment where maybe events were beginning to shift and turn and things were getting better. And Naomi welcomes these weddings as maybe part of healing in her grief. Maybe there's some sense of normalcy here now. Finally, my sons are married. Now I can maybe move on with life and have some grandchildren. Have my sons and my daughters-in-law. Some sense of normalcy. But we know that problems strike again for Naomi. It's a double whammy. Not only did the sons die, but after 10 years of marriage, neither one of them had children. 10 years of marriage, no children. And Moab becomes the scene of barrenness. The family is on the brink of extinction here in this story. Again, Elimelech fled Bethlehem, and they traded one family for three funerals. Mm. Have you ever second-guessed decisions? Please. <laughs> right? Okay. What? <laughs> I think I hit a nerve. <laughs> I'm sure Naomi must have been second-guessing questioning the wisdom of them going from Bethlehem to Moab. Questioning the wisdom of moving away. And maybe she even wondered, what if we never did move away from Bethlehem? Would my family still be in place? Would I still have my sons and maybe some grandchildren along the way? Would I still have my, my husband to live long with, to die with in later days? How do we make the right decisions? How do we make good decisions? Especially when all logic tells us what we need to do, but we don't bring it before the Lord. So the first thing we've established is we don't want to run. We don't want to escape from things. We don't want to merely just to endure and say, I made it. But we want to enlist the problem. And how do we enlist that problem? The first thing we do is we go to prayer. We own the problem. We bring it before the one God that can make a difference in that situation that we can't. We seek God's will in prayer. There is no substitute. There is no human wisdom. There is no investigative news report that will take the place of this step. When we make important decisions, we need to bring them before God in prayer and wait till we have that answer or a confirmation of what he's speaking to us. Is he trying to, maybe he's trying to teach you something. Maybe he's trying to teach you patience. And you're pushing forward your own agenda for the things that you want to see done because you can. Maybe he's trying to teach trust. Do you truly trust him or do you trust yourself? Because you can provide it for yourself. Maybe he's trying to teach perseverance. Lord, yes, you can press through and on the other side see what God is doing behind you. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says this. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. I want to say, say the word, rejoice. 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 
we can rejoice too. When we run into problems, how many of you do that? And trials, for we know that it helps us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not be the disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You see, we pray, and then we walk by faith. We pray, and then we walk by faith. We begin to claim the promises of God in his word for our lives. We obey the word in spite of what we see, in spite of how you feel, or in spite of what others may say. We say we're going to live after God's word. We're going to follow after that. And we rely on God to meet the need. I like to say it this way. You do your part and allow God to do the part that only he can do. This isn't just sit back in your chair and, and expect God to do something for you. But sometimes there's moments where we need to do what we can and leave the rest of God to do. Listen, this morning, you've made some wrong decisions. You've gone down the wrong path. You've ran. You've escaped. And the great thing about that is you're in good company because we all have. <laughs> we all have. Every one of us in one way or another. We've made decisions where it seemed logical at the time. We talked ourselves into it. We knew it was the right thing to do or what we thought was the right thing to do, but many of us have paid the price for those decisions. We thought it was the right thing. It just wasn't. This morning I want to encourage you that now is the time to get back to track. This is not the end of this story. We're going to hear more from the book of Ruth. There's more to it. But I also want to encourage you that this is not the end of your story. God has brought you to this place this morning to get it right, to get on the right path, to make the right decisions. God brought you here to see that there is hope in the middle of your chaos. There is not anything that he cannot use for his glory for his purposes. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, we have all made bad decisions. We have all run from problems. We have all escaped. We have all endured problems only to become bitter or dealt with the aftermath of our bitterness later. But for each and every one of us, and for you, this is not the end of your story. Amen. Today can mark a new beginning for your story. A story that begins, I used to, but now I'm a child of God. Now I'm a Christ follower. You can take this step today. Whether you're here in this room or you're watching online, say a simple prayer with me. And this will begin the beginning of your journey. It will start your journey towards Christ and towards Him helping you along the way and relying on Him to get you through life. You can just simply pray this with me. You can say it in your heart. Dear God, I thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe you rose again. Forgive me for my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life and help me face the challenges I'm up against. God, this morning, I surrender my life to you. In Christ's name.
If you said that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to download an app on your phone called Version And look up the devotional called Steps for New Believers. And that will kind of help you with the next steps of your faith. I want to encourage you, if you're local, to come and uh, stop by on a Sunday at 10 a.m. If you're not coming to church, it's near you. And get involved. I'm going to ask the congregation this morning to stand. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 over here. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Go out this week. Recognize what God is doing in you. Use opportunities share your love of Christ with others. May God bless you and have a great week. I'm going to encourage you again after service, go directly left and keep going until you see the yellow building and we'll see our Hope Restored store. Please walk through and check it out with us. If it's there, I'll be left with you. May God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Do you need to turn on the music? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.